want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm, Psalm 51, Psalm 51. And David says in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Wow. So here again, David is saying he was a child and he was accountable for his sin. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God and Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praises. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would have brought it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. This morning, I want to continue my series entitled Fearless. And we've been looking in the life of David. We've been been discovering that David was a man after God's own heart. And yet, even though David was a man after God's own heart, David stumbled and fell. He had done things that were really bad. I mean, think about the things that David did. And yet, even through all of that, God still loved David and gave David mercy in his life. We discovered that up to this point in David's life, David is pretty successful. David is is a passionate lover of God, but the truth is David loves God because David is so successful in the things that God has put on his heart to do. And and now David's going to go through another process in his life. He's going to go through another stage in his life. And for the most part, David is humble. And David is God-honoring, and David is passionate, and David is devoted to God, and he's diligent, and he's, he's a disciplined man who seems to be successful in everything that God calls him to do. And the truth is, David does have a certain swagger about himself when it comes to being obedient to God. If you read in the scriptures, if you read some of David's Psalms, you'll you'll notice that, that David has this feeling against the wicked. Notice what David says in Psalms 139, the, the wonderful Psalm that everyone should read about the sanctity of life. But in Psalms 139, David says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked, Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you? 
Lord, I abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them who I count as your enemy. Notice, in fact, Psalms 18, David boastfully acknowledges. He says, he brought me out into this open place. He rescued me, he's talking about God, because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. He has repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands, for I have kept the way of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. David said, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. That sounds a bit boastful, don't you think? I mean, when you read some of this, you think David is boastfully saying, God has rewarded me and he's blessed me because I've been a righteous man. But we know the Bible says there's none that are righteous, not one, amen? And Paul the apostle says we're not saved by works, but we're saved by grace and grace alone. And I, I think that David, even though he was a lover of God, I think that David, even though he, 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 he attempted to be righteous, David felt that because he was doing some things that were right, that I think he started to get filled with pride. He, he, he figured, you know what, God is blessing me because I'm doing the right thing. And so up to this point, David is successful. But the truth is, David now is going to face something that he had not faced before in his life. Up to this point, he was firing on all cylinders. Up to this point, David, he, he knows nothing but victory. Up to this point, he knows success. Now, I understand that David's on the run from Saul, but even on the run from Saul, David has this sense of righteousness. David could say, I have served the Lord with a clean heart. I have served the, served the Lord with passion and devotion, and I've obeyed the Lord in everything that the Lord told me to do. But now David is going to have to deal with something that he simply never had to deal with in this way. He was not accustomed to something, and that was failure. David would have to deal with something that he hadn't had a whole lot of experience in, and that was David would have to deal with his own sense of failure in his life. David would have to deal with his own sense of moral collapse in his life. David would have to face his own sense of disappointment in himself. Now, this wouldn't be the last mistake that David would make in his life. In fact, David had a series of mistakes that he made in his life. In fact, I want to tell you that when David was on the run, when David was living from cave to cave, when David was completely dependent on God, David was humble. David understood it was only God that could get him through these situations in his life. But when David became king, David became lazy in some ways. And as a result of that, David fell in immorality. And so we need to recognize, listen to me, we need to recognize that, that a lot of times when we have great successes in our life, we've got to be very careful. Why? Because after the great successes in our life, we can be more susceptible to sin and to making those moral decisions that we would have never made before, those immoral decisions. And the truth is that th this is a major turning point in David's life. This is a major crossroad in David's life and how David listen to me how David deals with his failure will determine the rest of his life how David 
the, the deals with the things that he is disappointed with in his own self will determine the rest of the way that he lives his life. And the truth is, failure, listen to me, I want you to write this down somewhere, failure in your life can become the womb of success. Come on, somebody. Failure in your life can become the womb of success in your life. It can be the breeding ground of a life that knows what it means to get back up again. It it could be the breeding ground. It could be the, the seed of success in your life because every one of us in this room are gonna fail. And it's how you fail. It's how you get back up again. It's how you understand God's redemptive power in your life, God's restorative power in your life that's going to determine whether or not you're going to live a successful, fruitful life. Remember, we talked about Psalm 1 last week. Blessed is the man who doesn't do three things. Blessed is the man who does one thing. His delight is in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. He will be fruitful. His leaves will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Listen to me. The way that you deal with failure in your life will determine the outcome of your life. Some people cannot get past their failure. Some people cannot get past the guilt and condemnation of their life. And as a result of that, they become isolated. As a result of that, they feel distant from God. As a result of that, they stop trying. They stop going forward. They stop moving into the things that God wants for their life. Why? Because they're stuck in their failure. This morning, I want to speak to you about dealing with failure in your life. Why? Because sooner or later, all of us in this room are going to fail. How many of you have already failed in your life? Some of you that don't have your hands up, you have failed, to be honest with yourself. (laughs) And so I want to teach you how to deal with failure in your life. Listen to me. I know that there's somebody in this room today... There's somebody watching via live stream. Wherever you are, you may be in the Middle East, you may be in Europe, you may be in the islands, wherever you might. You might be right around the block. But there's somebody who's hearing me today who feels like a failure, and that failure has begun to define who you are. You now call yourself a failure. You feel like you're beyond repair. You feel like God can't restore you because you've failed in your life. You feel like God is no longer interested in loving you and using you. You feel so that, that your failure is so big, so awful, so permanent in your life that you're stuck forever. You feel in the consequences of that failure. But I'm here to tell you today that God wants to catapult you into a grace-filled, mercy-filled, awesome walk with God that is actually based on the foundation of his grace in your life. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Even though David would forever be humbled by his failure, God would teach David to walk in humility in a way that David never knew before his failure. David had somewhat of a swagger. He believed that, that God was blessing him because he was a righteous man before his failure. But God would reveal to David the depth of his grace and, and in ways that David could never understand because of his failure. 
God would cause David to become much more merciful to others because of David's failure in his life. And God would cause David to understand that God was really the one that would do the work inside of him. And if it wasn't for God, he would not be able to stand. Let me ask you a question. Have you failed lately? Then this sermon is for you. Then God is ready to bring you deeper into the mysteries of his unfailing love for your life. Then God is about to transform your thinking. God is about to revolutionize your understanding of the unending mercy that is new every morning in your life. Hallelujah. David said in Psalms 119, teach me, God, judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, he's talking about the hand of the Lord on his life. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we said the hand of the Lord in your life can bring blessings in your life or can bring conviction in your life. And David tells us in some of the Psalms when he was unrepented for, because of the sin that he committed against God with Bathsheba, the Bible says that the hand of the Lord, David said, was heavy on my life. That's what sin does. That's why Soundview does what they do because Soundview understands that there are women who are going to make a choice. They feel like there's no other way out. They're going to make a choice to end their child's life, and they're going to live with the guilt and pain of that. And so somebody's got to come around them and help them to understand that God is still a merciful God. And the Bible tells us that David says, before I was afflicted by you, God, before I was convicted by you, Lord, before I felt your heavy hand of conviction on my life, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good, and, what, and, and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. Now, now listen to a different David in Psalms 51. Listen to a different David in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Lord, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression. You know, notice Psalms 139. David goes back into that role of, Lord, blast the wicked. And then he says, search me, O God, and know that there's, if there's any wicked way inside of me. And here, David, in Psalm 51, this is the psalm where God is doing a deep work of mercy in David's life, and David is beginning to understand that he could never stand. He could never make it without the mercy and grace of God in his life. And David cries out to the Lord when he's in the midst of really working through the sin of adultery and the sin of murder and the sin of lying and the sin of concealing this. How many months did David conceal? Conceal it nine months. He concealed it. He denied it. He justified it. But here now David gets to the point in his life where he recognizes I can't any longer. I've been uncovered. You know, we know the story that the prophet Nathan comes to David after David sins and commits adultery. And the prophet says to David, David, let me tell you a parable, a story and he tells a story of the, 
of, uh, of this man who, who took something that he had all, he had everything. He had so much. He had so much. But he saw one lamb, and he wanted that lamb so bad, and he stole it. And David becomes so angry. He said, that man needs to die. And David says, you're the man. Thank God that God still points his finger at us, his loving, corrective finger, and says, listen, you want to tell everybody else they're a sinner, but you're the man. Oh, how quickly we are to judge somebody else. How quickly we are to condemn other people. Even when it comes to this issue of abortion, how quickly we are to point the finger instead of recognizing we are the people. We, I am the man who has things deep in my own soul that I would be ashamed and embarrassed if it would come out to the world. Not, not things that I'm outwardly doing, not things that I'm, but things that are deep down within our own souls. And we are the people that need the grace of God. Come on, somebody. Oh, if we could truly understand our utter sinfulness in the presence of a holy God, we would never condemn anyone else. We would take the log out of our own eye before we would even try to take the splinter out of somebody else's eye. But he says, for I know my transgression against you. Only you have I sinned and done what is wrong in your sight. And you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. See, it's a different David. No more judging me, Lord, according to my righteousness. <laughs> no more, God, you blessed me because I was so good. No more, God, you blessed me because I was so righteous, and that guy over there, they were so unrighteous, and they deserve your judgment and your wrath. Uh -uh. You don't hear that anymore from David. It's a funny thing when somebody falls flat on their face. Watch out. Watch out. When you begin to judge other people, get ready to pick yourself up because you're going to fall on your face. Now David said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. No more I've been good since my youth. Uh-uh. Mm -mm. Now David says, wash me away from my birth and beyond. From my conception, I was a sinner. No more rejoicing in his own works. No more pride. He said, my, my sacrifice now, God, is not one that comes with pride. My sacrifice to you, God, now is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. He says, that's the only thing that you will accept from me because you see deep into my own soul and you know, Lord, the things that no one else sees. Hallelujah. Now, now we look at the story of David and how he fails, and we can learn some things about David's failure so that we can be careful not to fall like David. So, so we look into the scriptures and we, we look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 and we know the story. And it says, in the springtime, at the time when kings go off the war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israel army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening... David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, now these are very close people to David. 
When, 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 when the, the, the servant tells David who it is, he's reminding David, David, these are your warriors, and this is a daughter of one of your chief warriors. You don't want to go there, David. And David, she is a married woman. David should have thought to himself, number one, first thing is, is when David's walking in the palace, and he's walking on the roof, and he sees the naked lady, he should run like Joseph ran. Come on, somebody. He should run. I don't think he ran. I think he just kind of stood. <laughs> I, I think he hung out. I think he went inside and said, get me a pina colada. I got a show going on here. And let me tell you, young person, you cannot play with sin. You need to run like the house is on fire. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, man, you need to run like the house is on fire. You have no business going into some websites. You have no business going to a place where you shouldn't go. Man, you shouldn't be alone with a woman. You should not be alone with a woman unless it's your own wife. You shouldn't drive in a car alone with a woman. You shouldn't be in your office alone. You should not, you should not be alone with a woman. The Bible says that, that there, there's no temptation that has befallen us that is not common to man. Oh, but I'm a spiritual man. No, you're not. <laughs> You're just a man. That's all. And sin makes us stupid. I don't care who we are. I don't care how long I've been preaching. I don't care how long I've been praying. I, can't, I just can't. I'm just amazed at how long I can pray and get up from praying and think a thought that I'm like, oh, my goodness, where did that in the world came from? Come on, somebody. Let's get real. If you're on a diet, don't install a refrigerator in your bedroom. If you're on a diet, don't go into Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, you're just walking by. Uh, you, know, I had a, you know, I had a friend of mine, he used to always say, women are beautiful. And, and, and I know I'm a married man, but God created them so that I can enjoy the view. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm going to tell you some woman drives in front of my car. I got to see her for the moment, but I don't need to be turning my neck around all over there. Right? So a second look is not good. Just think about that. A second look. I, I've tried to train myself. No second looks. No second looks. And, and it doesn't have to do just with a man looking at a woman. It's anything. No second looks. No second smells. No second touches. No second anything. When you know it's sin, you run like the house is on fire. You know, Joseph tells us a great lesson. He shows us a great lesson. The Bible says that Joseph ran. The lady, wanted, you know, you know the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar liked Joseph, and Potiphar said, let's sleep. Nobody will know about it. And the Bible says that, that Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce Joseph, and the Bible says that she grabbed a hold of him. Joseph didn't care. He ran out naked as a jaybird. I'm not staying here, man. I'm not staying in this situation. And so the Bible tells us that, that David calls the woman, and he sleeps with the woman, and then the Bible tells us that then the woman comes back and tells David, I am pregnant. And right there, when, 
when, when she finds out that she's pregnant, when David finds out, obviously David should have repented. Obviously David should have fell on his knees and said, God, forgive me. And should have done the right thing. It takes a lot of courage. And that's what we need to pray for. For young people, for young ladies and young men, when they, when they make a mistake, to do the right thing. And I want to tell you, I want to applaud all of you young ladies and all of you young men who perhaps maybe you made a decision and you regretted that decision, but you followed through and you're taking care of that child today. We applaud you. We applaud you for having enough courage to do the right thing. And we're not here to throw stones at you. We're here to help you, to support you, and love you, and tell you we all make mistakes in our life, all of us in this room. We all make mistakes. Some of us, <clears throat> it's shown far. Everyone can see it. But so many of those mistakes are deep in our heart. And one day, watch out. For those that are self-righteous, watch out. One day, you self-righteous person, when you get to heaven, you think it's not going to be revealed. God's going to say, oh, really? I'm going to teach you a lesson. Roll the videotape. <laughs> Amen? So David sent the word to Joab. And sent, he said, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was doing how the soldiers were and how the war was going. And, and David now is coming up with a plan. He's coming up with a plan. And so David says, you know what? Bring me Uriah. Uriah is one of a great warriors. And Uriah, listen to me, takes a pledge. All the men, all the warring men had to take a pledge that they would not have sexual relations with a woman while they were at war. Why? Because it made their knees weak. <laughs> Just being honest. And, 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 and so they would not, they would take a vow that they would be consecrated, holy, and they would be focused on the war. So now David calls Uriah, and you know, you know the story. David talks, about, talks to Uriah. He says, Uriah, you've been working hard. Take a break. Take a vacation. Go ahead and spend some time with your wife. David's thinking he's going to go home, and he's going to have sex with his wife. But Uriah is a loyal man. He's a better man in that situation than David. And the Bible says that Uriah would not go home. He said, how can I go home and sleep with my wife when the other men are out there at war and they've made a vow, I'm not going to do it. So David tries to get Uriah drunk. He gets him drunk, but Uriah sobers up and he says, there's no way I'm going home. And now David has to come up with another plan. That's what always happens when you deny your sin, when you try to cover up your sin. When you try to cover up your tracks, you have to come up with another plan and another plan and another plan and another plan. You might as well come clean because in the end, your sin is going to find you out anyway. And now you've created a mess in your life because you just didn't stop. Let me just challenge you, wherever you are today, whatever is going on in your life, I know it's hard. I know it takes a lot of courage. I get it. I get it. And the enemy wants to deceive you and to think that, you know what, just keep on hiding your sin, covering it up, covering it up, covering it up, and doing something else. He's just bringing you deeper and deeper and deeper into a mess. And it's going to get worse. And let's, instead of just coming clean and, and stopping the destruction now, yeah, it's going to be hard but it's going to be a whole lot better if you stop now. And I'm talking to somebody in this room right now. You're involved in something you know is leading you down the wrong road. You're involved with another woman. You're involved in pornography. You're sleeping around with your boyfriend. Stop it now. Stop now. Turn around now. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. 
It leads to destruction. It leads to dysfunction. So what do we learn from David's failure? We're going to learn a few things. Number one, David failed to recognize the season that he was in. The season that he was in. In other words, David should have been fighting and not resting at springtime. There's a season for everything. Listen to me. At springtime, armies would go out to war. Not in the winter. Not in the fall. But at springtime. Why? Because at springtime, there was a lot of grass. There was a lot of, they were able to graze. It was a lot different. It wasn't bitter cold. And so springtime was war time. And you've got to recognize that every one of us in this room need to put on our full armor every single day of our life. We can never we can never think that we're in this place where we don't have to wrestle against uh, those things that are trying to deceive us and take us down. You need to keep your guard up. Paul the Apostle said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and wickedness in high places. Therefore, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles and schemes of the enemy. So every day of your life is springtime. Now, I understand that every one of us in this room, we need times of Sabbath. And there's a cycle in our life. There's a cycle in our life. One of the reasons why God made the Sabbath holy, made a day holy, where we're fighting all week long, fighting all week long, fighting all week long. But then on Sunday, we come to church and we're refreshed in the spirit. We're empowered. That's why you need to, you need to recognize how important it is that you're here today, that you're listening to this sermon. Because why? Because I'm putting something back into you so that tomorrow morning you can get back up for the fight. You could get back out there and start warring again. But we, we've got to recognize that, that we need to always be at war with the schemes of the enemy. We need to have our full armor on always. That's why I want to challenge you to go to Grow University you know, we had 105 people in our foundations class. Come on, somebody. 105 people signed up for foundations class. I'm so, I'm so excited for you folks that are starting your Christian walk on the right foundation. And so we need to learn the word. We need to pray. We need to be accountable to other people. We need to stay in community, in fellowship. The only reason why I'm still serving the Lord today is because I've got certain disciplines in my life. So as to when I'm going through a season of my life, even an emotionally dry, relationally dry season in my life, I keep on praying, I keep on reading the Word. Why? Because it keeps on speaking to me no matter what I'm going through. It keeps me steady. It keeps me committed. It keeps me focused. That's why I've never missed church. I, I haven't missed church since I was 19 years old. Now, yeah, I go on vacation from time to time. Even when I'm on vacation, I look for a church. Because vacation is the time that I've got to be the most careful. Because, man, I'm on my game when I got to preach. But on vacation, I got to be careful, especially when you're in those resorts. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sometimes I got to walk around with a blinder on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yeah. Hey. Don't look over there. Uh-huh. <laughs> what do you think? Because I'm a pastor, I'm not tempted like everyone else? Huh? No temptation is overcoming. That's not common to all men. And ladies, you're laughing, but some of you ladies, man, you got to close your eyes too. Because those guys got some Speedos on. You know what I'm talking about. Speedo will take you speedily to the place you don't want to go. 
David thought he was beyond accountability. David thought he was beyond accountability. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba. She's a married woman. But David thought, you know, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. See, that's the problem with some of us. We get to a place in our life where we believe that we don't need accountability anymore in our life. We're beyond accountability. We're super spiritual. Or we have positions and places where we don't have to give account to someone else. Let me tell you, an unaccountable life is not a life worth living. You've got to stay, keep accountable. You have to find a man. If you're a man, you need to find another brother who will hold you accountable, who will ask you the tough questions in your life. Are you doing the right thing? I have a brother in the Lord who asks me those tough questions. I have a brother in the Lord that we talk all the time, and I'm so, so transparent with him. Why? Because I need somebody to hold me accountable because I don't trust myself as far as I can throw myself. And you shouldn't trust yourself. You should trust in God. You should trust in his ability. But we all need to be accountable in our life. Thirdly, David tried to cover up his failure. Instead of saying, I blew it, I made a mistake, he tried to cover it. Fourthly, David tried to deal with his failure with even more disobedience. Fifthly, David failed to see the consequences of his sin and his failure. Let me, let me just share something with you. Since I got married, I got married when I was 20 years old. That's 10 years ago. And, <laughs> and, and I, I, actually, I actually pray this prayer all the time because I know that I'm a human being like anyone else. I always pray this prayer. God, show me the consequences of my sin. God, show me the consequences of my sin before I sin. Not after, but before. God, give me a picture of my wife devastated, my children devastated, my church devastated. Lord, give me a picture of my ministry shipwrecked. Give me a picture of my life going in the wrong direction. Give me a picture of the consequences of bad decisions in my life, no matter what it is. Do you know what? It puts the fear of God back in me. Hallelujah. And it helps me to recognize that I need to see the consequences. You know, Jesus said, no man who wants to build a house doesn't first count the cost. We need to count the cost of our decisions that we make in our life. And friend, let me promise you, sin will always take you to places you don't want to go and keep you there longer than you want to stay. Sin will always take you to places you don't want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. Somebody put that on Facebook with my friend. David refused to admit that he had failed. But the question is, how do we deal with failure in our lives Because we all are going to fail in our life. We're all going to sin. We're all going to disappoint God in our life because we all sin. The Bible said all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all dysfunctional. We're all dysfunctional. We're getting better. God is doing the work in our life. 
We remain humble through our whole life. But the truth is we all have dysfunction in our life. We all are a product of sin in our life. We all grew up with different things in our life. And, and, and let me tell you, the higher you go in leadership, the more responsibility you get, the more that sin will become prominent in your life. If you're insecure, it'll become prominent. If you're bitter, it'll become prominent. It'll come back. Why? Because we, are, we live in a fallen world. And Paul tells us that failure is common to all of us. And so the Bible is filled with people who have failed. Erwin Lutzer said this, those who have failed miserably are often the first to see God's formula for success. Wow. Albert Einstein said, failure is success in progress. But the first thing that I see all through the Bible is that failure never has to be fatal. Because God is always a redeeming God. God is always a restoring God. Hallelujah. God is always a renewing God. God is always a reviving God. God is always a repairing God. God is always a refining God. God can take our failures and turn it into our greatest victories in our life. That's what God does best. He takes broken and he makes it better. He takes lost and he finds it. He takes old and he makes it new. He takes bad and he makes it good. He takes dead and he gives it life. He takes hopelessness and he gives it hope. He takes failure and he can bring success even out of failure. Somebody say amen. That's what God does. And the Bible is filled with men and women who fail, but their failure is not fatal because they embrace the God who takes failure and turns it into success. So, so failure Write this down somewhere. Failure becomes my greatest teacher. Failure becomes my greatest teacher. David coveted, committed adultery, stole another man's wife, killed a man, lied to the prophet, and took his, his blessed time to repent. But when David finally admitted his failure, God restored David, and David learned that God's mercy, God's power, God's power to forgive, God's grace, God's ability to use a sinner, God's unconditional love always has the final word in our life. Hallelujah. The prophet Elijah ran too hard for too long, and after many meetings, too many meetings, too much work, too much worrying about who was with him and who was against him, simply burned himself out. And after running away from everything and wanting to commit suicide, wanting to die, wanting to give up, feeling like a complete failure, God teaches Elijah through his burnout how to trust God and be still and know that God was going to do a work in his life and it didn't need to be fatal in his life. So Elijah learned some valuable lessons from his burnout. Elijah learns that he didn't have to be God. He learned that God has people that are more for him than against him. He learned to be still and listen to the small, still voice of God. He learned that God will always provide for him no matter what he's going through in his life. He learned that even when he had no faith left and he simply wanted to die, God was faithful and God would see him through any situation in his life. He, listen to me, Elijah went through depression, burnout, and he wanted to die, but he learned his greatest lesson about God's faithfulness, about who God is through his failure in his life. Failure becomes his greatest teacher. Listen to me. I know that some of you have failed. You're right in the midst of that failure right now. 
You feel like God can never put you back on the right track. You feel like you are defined by that failure. But like David, like Elijah, like we see in Paul, God wants you to learn incredible things through your failure. What are you learning right now through your failure? John Maxwell once said, every person must learn how to fail forward. When you you fall down, pick up something on the way up. I love that. John Maxwell says, when you fall and you fail, you're going to get back up again because a righteous man gets back up seven times. But when you fail, when you fall, pick something up on the way back up to restoration. Because if you don't, then you don't learn anything. But if you learn something, you become, listen to me, a better person. Failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. What defines us is how well we rise after falling. Why? Because we're going to all fail. The bigger the failure, the greater the possible lesson. Sometimes God must engineer failure in us before he can bring about success with us. And so our failure is often the rungs on the ladder for growth in our life. Thomas Edison invented the microphone, the phonograph, the incandescent light, the storage battery, talking movies, and more than a thousand other things. December 1914, while he was working in his factory, in his, in his laboratory, there was a fire. And the fire actually burned his whole complete factory with all of his life work in it, all of it, every experience. And, 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 and remember, Thomas Edison, before he invented the light bulb, he failed over and over and over and over. But he learned each time how to do it a little bit better through his failure. And now Thomas Edison is actually standing outside of his factory. And his son Charles comes to him And he is so worried that his his father is going to be devastated by the fire. Everything is gone. Everything is lost. And Thomas Edison makes this statement. The next morning, Edison looked at the runes and he said, There is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are now burned up. Thank God we can start all over again. (laughs) Three weeks later, After the fire, Edison managed to deliver the first phonograph. Come on, somebody. Get back up. Don't stay down and recognize God is about to do his greatest work in your life through your failure. Come on, somebody. I I think one of the most important things about our failure as the worship team comes is that our failures have the potential to point us back to God. See, the truth is, success can cause us to forget who's in charge. Our success causes us to really believe that we don't need God. The people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8 are actually on the doorstep of great success as a nation. And Moses prophetically speaks to the people of Israel. Notice what he says. He says, make sure that when you eat and are satisfied, build pleasant houses and settle in, see your herds and your flocks flourish, and more and more money comes in. Watch your standard of living. Make sure you don't become so full of yourself 
and your things that you forget God. You forget your God, the God who delivered you from Egypt, the God who led you through this huge and fearsome wilderness, those desolate and bad lands crawling with fiery snakes and scorpions, the God who gave you water gushing from his rock, the God who did all these things. When you get successful, when we start riding our bike, when we start doing things supposedly right spiritually, we're in danger of forgetting it's always been about the grace of God in our life. That we can't do a thing without God's grace in our life. And maybe today you have failed and you're wondering why you failed. Maybe it was because you simply forgot that you can't do anything without God. Not one day. Samson. Samson, you know, there are pictures of Samson. You know, people draw pictures of Samson. Samson was this big, strong, burly muscular man. I, I think not what, whatsoever. I think that Samson looked like me. I, I think that Samson was skinny, a little guy. Do you know why? Because I think that Samson actually blew away all of his enemies because they, when they looked at him, they thought, we're going to take this guy down. He's a skinny, scrawny, scrawny little guy. He can't do anything, but when the power of the Holy Spirit came on Samson, he became a mighty man of God. Friend, I want to tell you something. It's not what you can do. It's what God's power can do inside of you. I'm reminded every Sunday afternoon that I can't do what I do every Sunday. It's only by the power of God. I'm reminded every day of my life that if I didn't have the wonderful mercy and grace and Holy Spirit in my life, I couldn't live for God for one day. I couldn't be obedient to God for one day. The word of the Lord says, and I will put my spirit inside of you. And my spirit will give you the strength to obey me. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't live one day without God. We can't do the right thing without the Holy Spirit. What really makes us think that we can be right without the Holy Spirit in our life. So failure, failure is a reminder that we can't do it without God. And God's waiting right now, just like the prodigal son came back to his father and said, I failed you. The Bible says the prodigal son came to his senses and said, I will go back home. Your father's waiting for you today. You failed, you have failed, but your daddy's waiting for you today with his arms wide open and he wants to put his royal robe on you. He wants to put his signet ring on you. He wants to put his shoes on you. He wants to throw a party. He wants to teach you some things. But most of all, he wants you to come and drink of his spirit again. Hallelujah. David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Hallelujah. See, David understood it was the Holy Spirit that was doing that work in his life. Back then, not everyone had the Holy Spirit. Only those that were assigned to do something great, God would give the Spirit to. But we, the Christians, the the people of God, we have the Holy Spirit living with us and in us. And when we grieve the Spirit, He just stops speaking. But the moment we repent, that's why we need to repent. Because repentance says, I acknowledge that I've been going the wrong way. I'm doing the wrong thing, but Holy Spirit, come. David said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Hallelujah. 
Our failure leads us to the pathway to God's power in our life. Notice Paul the Apostle as I close right now. Paul the Apostle says, if, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And listen, here it is, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his suffering, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not, here it is, here it is, look at me. You failed. You've made some mistakes. But Paul the apostle says, to keep me from becoming conceited, God put a thorn in my flesh. And I cried out to the Lord. And the Lord said, no, I'm going to keep you weak. Why? Because in your weakness, I am made strong in your life. So Paul the Apostle said, I'd rather be weak. I'd rather be vulnerable. I'd rather be humble. I'd rather be broken. I'd rather have a contrite heart. I'd rather come crawling on my knees to God and say, God, I can't do it without you, God. I can't live this life, God. Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 7, I know what I should do, but I cannot do it. Who will rescue me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God that I find my support and my strength and my power in the resurrected Jesus. Jesus Christ who lives inside of me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I will glory in my weakness so that the strength of God, the power of God may be revealed in me. So your failure needs not to be fatal. Your failure needs to lead you back to the master. Let's pray together. Lord, I know that in this room today, there are people that have failed. I know that in this room, there are people that are struggling. Lead us today to the foot of the cross, Lord, where we find mercy and grace to get back up again, Lord. To keep on going. As Paul said, not that I have already attained, not that I've already been made perfect, but one thing I do, I forget, I forget what is behind, and I press on. In this room today, in the balcony, those that are watching in the overflow, those who are watching live stream, those that are in the first floor, you say, Pastor, I have failed, and I simply need to come clean with my failure. You can't forget until you repent, until you unload. Repentance is, God, I blew it. Please forgive me. Repentance is, Lord, I'm going to get the help that I need and become accountable because I don't want to go there anymore. But guilt and condemnation, that's of the devil. The Bible says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So there's no one here trying to condemn you, only loving you, saying you can get back up again, get back up again, get back up again, get yourself back up again with the grace of God. 
and let God continue to do that work in your life. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need to get back up again. I want you to stand right now. Get up now. Get up now. Get up now. I'm not staying down. I'm not living in my failure. Get up now. Yes, Lord. I choose to forget what is behind me, God. I'm moving forward. Get up now. Some of you are filled with condemnation and guilt over the past, but you have asked God to forgive you. Get up now. Don't allow the devil to bring back that which has been completely forgiven. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, God has removed your sin. If you feel like you are being condemned, if you wrestle with your past, if you wrestle with guilt and condemnation, get up now and say no more. Devil, I know who I am in Christ. I'm moving forward. Get up now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those that were courageous to get up now. God, I pray that you would put in their spirit, put in their soul, God, a determination, God, to not stay down. Lord, your word says the righteous person may fall seven times, but they're going to get back up. Completion, meaning that we're going to just keep on getting back up every time we fall. God, bless them today. Touch them. Lord, minister to them. And fill them with your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask those counselors that are here today to come quickly. And if you need prayer, if you need to get, get a hold of somebody, say, I want you to hold me accountable. Whatever it may be, I want you to get out of your seat today and come and be prayed for by somebody who can love you and hold you accountable. Because this week... They're going to be praying for you because the enemy is going to try to come and say, that wasn't real on Sunday morning. But they're going to be there to give you a call and say, no, no, it was real and we're praying for you. And so I want everybody else to stand to your feet right now in this place. Stand to your feet. And before I'm going to open up the altars, we always open up the altars every Sunday because people have needs. Listen, last week, look at me, last week somebody got healed in our service. We've been having healings every week. God still wants to heal. He wants to heal physically. He wants to heal spiritually. He wants to heal relationally. He wants to heal you holistically. And so if you need prayer for any reason, maybe you have sickness in your body, maybe it's a relational situation, we love to pray for people. The Bible says that if there's any situations, anyone's sick, any situations, call for the elders of the church and pray over people, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. So we believe in prayer. We believe in miracles. You may need a miracle. I want you to know there's people that want to pray for you today. Let's all stand today, and let's just sing that song one time. Anthony, help us out today. And we're going to worship the Lord for a few moments. Let's just turn this church service now into an opportunity now to thank the Lord and bless the Lord for His grace and His mercy in our life.